are looking to be these things. A praying people and equipping and sending people, that's brilliant. You're doing that for us today with your prayers and a gathered and scattered people. It's perhaps particularly that last one that I want to think about. We gather like this and then we're out in the whole week and we're scattered. And it's that I want us to think about uh, particularly this morning. But just staying with the idea of a praying people, one of the things that I perhaps can say that would be harder um, for Ed to say is that one of the ways you could start that is by giving yourself some regular reminder to pray for your leaders and for your staff team, um, for Ed and for Emma and for all of the other elders and all the others on the staff. The thing is, we all say that we'll pray, but it's just easy for that to drop off the radar and to forget to do so unless you're really devoted to that sort of thing. So those of us who are not devoted to that sort of thing, we need to give ourselves a reminder, perhaps. So where can you give yourself a little prompt, a little reminder to be praying? I'm not saying, like, change the screensaver photo to be Ed and Emma and the family. That would be a little bit weird (laughs) if other people saw that. But somewhere where you go, oh, yeah, okay, I've seen that on my calendar. That little mark means I'm going to remember to pray for them. That would be good. The other thing you could do to encourage them, perhaps is to treat their ideas with the level of enthusiasm that you did when they were new. Because it's just easy to treat new ministers and staff team with enthusiastic ideas. Even if the ideas are like a quiz to do with names rhyming because the speaker's name rhymes, which, you know, that may not be Ed's best idea ever, but still, well done for going for it, and nobody else has ever done that, so that's great. Um, But all of their ideas, treat them with the enthusiasm that you did um, there. That would be great. And the other thing I would say is if you really want to bless them to be blessed as well, if you could give some allowance for the complexity of the role when you don't understand what they do, then they will be blessed and you will be blessed. So they're not asking me to say this, but, but by that I mean sometimes in a role in, in a church of this size, sometimes you do things and other people don't understand why, why do they do that? And there are some things we just couldn't say, but if you knew, you would understand why we did that. Equally, sometimes we, do, we don't do something, and it looks like a big gap, and people say, well, why didn't, why didn't they do that? But if you knew the other things going on for people, you would know why we left that as a gap and we didn't do that. And I'm not saying that with any particular angst to, to grind. I, my church do that for me. But to the extent that you can do that, they will be blessed, and you will be blessed. I thought to give ourselves a biblical anchor for this idea of gathered and scattered I would go to a very well known passage that is really important to your church and my church because it contains the values that we all hold dear so throughout the year it's in Matthew 28 I'll come to it in a second but let me come at it this way throughout the year as president you get to bring a theme to as many churches as possible who will be up for hearing it and my theme is this where do we grow from here And Jesus gave a growth-type command, a set of commands, in what we call the Great Commission. And I'm going to look at that with the title, Whenever, Whatever, Wherever. And I'll pick up one other verse in Colossians as well. So the Great Commission is in Matthew 28 and verses 16 to 20. And he's giving a gathered people a scattered message. And it implies a where do we grow from here idea. If you have 11 people and you send them into all the world, that implies some growth. Otherwise, they're not going to manage it. So it says this. uh, Look it up on your devices or your uh, own Bibles if you'd like to. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, 
to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And then just picking up a couple of verses in Colossians. Colossians 3 and verses 23 and 24 say this. Whatever you do, I'll just pause there and encourage you to think beyond church roles, wherever you'll find yourself this week, paid or unpaid things, at home or out and about. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. My theme then, whenever, whatever, wherever, it isn't very hidden from those three verses, if, if you like, if you want to kind of picture them. Jesus is saying, sending people out wherever they go, go into all nations. And he is promising to be with us always. So there is a whenever aspect to it. And Colossians very specifically says, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So you're committing to be a praying people. And part of my message is to ask as many people in as many churches as will come and hear us, would you consider praying through this theme, where do we grow from here? I believe it's a key thing to be praying. If our churches aren't growing overall, and some are and some aren't, but overall we're not, and God wants to build his church, and it's implied in so many of the Bible passages, including sending 11 into all the world, and he is building his church globally, then we don't want our stream of churches to miss out on that. So let's pray together, where do we grow from here? Imagine you're praying that. Here are some things I think we could pick out from it. When I pray it, I'm going to highlight some words. First of all, I highlight the word we. When, when we pray, it's like we, we pray to the one who holds the keys. And, and in praying, those keys open doors. And one of the things that comes to my mind in, as we open a door is that that word we is smaller than our first thing. Where do we grow from here actually means me. Where do I grow from here first? It's ridiculous to think of church growth without each of us personally seeking to grow as well in Christ-likeness in a whole range of different ways. And then as well as it being smaller than we think, it's bigger than we think. Because it's bigger than where do we as Battle Baptist Church grow from here. We have to have a kingdom mindset. So it's where does Battle um, kingdom-wise grow. The other churches, uh, a stone's throw from here. And wider, where do they grow from here? And then hopefully you'd include a national perspective, including our stream of churches. Those 2,000 churches, where do they grow from here? Once you've done that, then you can think about and pray about the word here. My phrase is a play on words, really, isn't it? You'd normally say, where do we go from here? We didn't need to get a sat-nav out to find our way here because somebody led us here yesterday and we remembered it. But imagine that you are stopping someone to ask for directions. And you say, where do we go from here to Battle Baptist Church? If you stop someone, you ideally need to find somebody who knows where here is then they've got a fair chance of telling you where there is. So where is here, if we're going to ask where do we grow from here? What's the current state of play in this town? What's the current state of play in our nation? There are some unique challenges about here today. 
but there are some unique opportunities like we've never had before. So let's think about that here. Once we've done that, then we can look at the word grow. And we can say a few things about growth. We can say that we don't do growth. God does growth. But, but maybe he calls us to prayerfully be good gardeners. Maybe that's what we are in church, where we create the right circumstances where healthy growth is most likely to happen. We've been saying this for a while. And I said this in one particular context. And somebody said to me, that's good, but you don't mean gardener, you mean agronomist. I said, oh, do I? Tell me more. And we've since had an agronomist come to our church. And I said, oh, agronomist, yeah, I know what that is. But I only knew because somebody had just explained it to me recently. An agronomist is somebody who knows all about soil and irrigation and plant growth. And they advise farmers on the right conditions where growth is most likely to happen. So maybe that's what we are. We don't do growth. God does growth. But maybe he calls us to be agronomists, to create the right circumstances where growth is most likely to happen. So I've been going around saying that, we're agronomists. I said it in a church in Canterbury, and somebody came up to me afterwards and said, you don't mean agronomist, you mean pomologist. (laughs) I said, do I? Tell me more. And they said, a pomologist is an agronomist that specialises in fruit growth. I thought, oh, that's good. That is good. So maybe that is what we are as church, church people, particularly church leaders, but all of us. We're pomologists. We create the right circumstances where healthy fruit growth is most likely to happen. That's where that story ends, by the way. And if any of you want to come up to me afterwards and tell me I don't mean pomologist and give me another uh, category after that. But that's what we are. Once you've looked at that, the word grow, then lastly we can look at the word where and say where is growth most likely to happen. We've seen some growth in our church. Whether that's real growth or not, the Lord will tell us in the end. But a couple of things have been key. One has been trying to some other ways of gathering in addition to our way like this. So we do some other things as well. Um, and the other has been emphasising the whole of people's lives. People's whatever, whenever, wherever lives. And equipping people for that wherever they find themselves. Your language of gathered and scattered comes from that. That whole language that you use, it comes from an organisation called LICC, the one I'm going to work for. And the person who heads it up is a guy called Mark Green. And I remember him conveying those values when I was at Theological College training to be a minister. And they just made sense to me then. So I've been trying to convey those values in my church ever since. One of the things that's in your vision statement and in the language of LICC is the language of frontline. So frontline simply means the place in your week where you spend most time with people who aren't yet believers, who don't yet share your faith. So if you're in work, that may well be your workplace. Unless you do a job like Ed and I, and then we, we look for other front lines. It might be your leisure place. Uh, for me, it might be the tennis court or the golf course. Or for you, it might be your family might be your front line. They don't yet share your faith. Or your neighbours. But we all better have a front line. So, so where's your front line? It's a useful term because it applies to all ages. It's useful, but some of you have to get past the fact that Frontline is also the name for the number one name for flea treatment for cats and dogs in the UK. And you hear that, and that's immediately what you're thinking of. And others of you weren't thinking that, and now you are thinking that, and and I apologise for that. But if you get past that for a moment, then that's what we're looking at. Gathered and scattered, gathered, and then equipping you for scattered in your Frontline place, wherever that may be. If 
that's the case, then, and that's what I've been trying to convey in my church, then I had this idea in my church. In my, this is my church building in Chichester, our church, and it used to be just the left-hand apex building. Uh, but we ran out of space and we had the land, so we built another apex, and that's our main sanctuary. It overspills into the other sanctuary. Because of this value of gathered and scattered, when we put a new stage up on the, in a new building, I wanted to put a sign up at the back of the stage saying, this is not it. Now, older, wiser people in the church pointed out to me that you know, if people have found their way into our church, they're looking for the message of hope for their lives and for all eternity. To see a sign at the back saying, this is not it, might not be the most welcoming and helpful sign that we could have come up with. And I understand that. So I agree to that because I'm a Baptist and we decide together. But nevertheless, I still want to convey that value in my church. Because this is not it, because we don't think we're it compared with other churches in our town and city. This is not it because we don't think we're it. We don't think we're a complete work. We're broken and God is still working in us. This is not it globally because we're in a messy world. We see glimpses of light, but we wait for Christ's return and the complete plan to be finished. And this is not it because it's not about what happens in the building. It's about what happens in all of our lives. Our wherever, whatever, whenever lives. So if that's the case, then what's the point when we're gathered? It's to encourage one another and equip one another for when we're scattered as well, as well as bringing honour and glory to God when we gather as well, in worship as we've brilliantly done. You can imagine it this way, I think. What is happening when somebody stands here? I think it's the half-time team talk. I think that's what it is in a game of two halves. Pick your sport, you know, football, hockey, rugby. And the first half may have gone well, or it may have gone badly, but really what we're doing is we're trying to equip, encourage, resource, give some tactics for us all to get back out there in the game. And those of us who have the privilege of standing somewhere like this, we should be player managers in that story. We should have our own stories and illustrations to fit in with that. When I was first taking a a graduate job after leaving university, I knew I wanted to be a Christian in my workplace. I was in a good church in South London. I think my minister thought my daily issues, I was going to go and work for a retail department store in Oxford Street, uh, which coincidentally is next door to where I'm now going to work for LICC. Um, I think my minister thought my daily issue would be Sunday trading, because that was the thing then. I'm showing my age, I'm sure you could guess it anyway. Now, now that was an issue, and whatever you think of that issue, that ship has sailed, really. But it wasn't my daily issue. My daily issues were things like, how do you do a good job in a corporate organisation that wants so much of you, it's as though it wants your whole soul? How do you work Christianly in an environment full of 500 young adults, and I was a young adult then, when the prevailing atmosphere is one of flirting? How do you talk about needs for the customer when really you mean wants? When is it a good thing to help somebody to spend a little bit more because if they spend a little bit more, maybe the thing they buy will last longer, will will give them greater pleasure and maybe treated the people who made it better? And when is it just greed? 
How do you arrest somebody for theft in a Christian way? How do you sack somebody when you have to? Because you've given enough extra chances and it's the right thing to do, but still do so in a Christian way. How do you help a colleague who's just made a massive mistake in her private life and now the whole of menswear know? These and other things were like my daily issues. And I put it to you that my issues aren't so very different to all of us in different ways. And Sunday by Sunday, we have the opportunity to equip people for their daily lives, for their whenever lives, for wherever they find themselves. So where is that daily message in the Great Commission, in whenever, whatever, wherever? Where, where is it there? In what way is that spelt out? Well, as I say, it contains the things that a church like yours and mine, we all hold dear. Um, going to all the world, baptising them, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm hoping this is the baptistry, is it? Yeah, good. Otherwise, it could be a trapdoor if I overrun. But we hold that value dear. Uh, following all I've commanded you, not just bits of it. And surely I'm with you always, to the very end of the age. Where, where is the whole life message in that? Well, we were led in worship by a song I recently learnt, probably in the same place, uh, beautifully about all my life you have been faithful and, and that he's running after us. He's with us always in that sense. Where, where is that in that message? There is, there is a play on words in Greek that we miss in English in the Great Commission. We miss it for understandable reasons because we've, we've taken the most easy translation to read in English. But in a short sentence, Jesus is using the word all four times to make a point. So he says, go into all nations. That's one of the four alls. The first, actually, is uh, all authority has been given to me. That's the second. Those two we have in our translation. Then it says, in Greek, teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. And we say everything, just because it reads better. But we've missed that third all. Then right at the end, it says, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of Jesus saying, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age, I think he means, I'm with you now, um, right here, and I'm going to be with you when you die in eternity. I'm with you always. But if I tell you that it's not one word in Greek, it's three words, and Jesus is actually saying, and surely I'm with you all the days. I think that's good. And I think it means now and in eternity... And it means all the days in between. So what it means, actually, is that Jesus promises to be with us in good days and bad days, when things are going well and when we're really low and when we're really high and when we're everything in between, he promises to be with us all the days, whether we're aware of it or not, which means he promises to be with us wherever we are this time tomorrow, wherever we find ourselves. Now, if you're a church leader like Ed and myself, nobody rings us to say they're having an average day, do they? They ring us when things are going brilliantly or badly. Not that we particularly want them to, although give it a go this week, just to show you've heard the message. Just ring him up <laughs> randomly and say you've had an average day. But the promise is, on those average days, he promises to be with us. And so we go with the strength of that into our whenever, whatever, wherever lives. If we're going to answer the question, where do we go from here, we will never get anywhere until we equip our people for their everywhere. In that Colossians p- 
passage, it specifically says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as though working for the Lord, not for human masters. There's a similar passage in Ephesians that says, serve wholeheartedly, as if serving the Lord, not human masters. And both passages include the idea that it could be slaves doing that job. So it it needn't necessarily be somewhere you particularly want to be, but you are where you are for now. And where you are, serve wholeheartedly, which means not just do a good job, but do it with goodwill for those you find yourself serving all of your lives. I love the comedian Milton Jones. He's a Christian, and he's talked about his faith very often. He said, for example, he thinks Christianity is a bit like knitting. It's basically good, but it's sometimes responsible for some really bad things, he says. But he also says this. Holy means set apart. Not like a set of cutlery that only comes out on Sundays. More like a Swiss army knife. Remove a splinter, cut a rope, open a bottle, anytime, anywhere, whatever the boss needs. And the current Archbishop of Canterbury was interviewed about his life before being a minister when he worked in the oil business. And he gave a whole life wherever message too, really. He said, being in a world, the oil business, where almost no one, the vast majority of people were not Christian believers, and the challenge of what being a Christian meant in that world was hugely important to me and taught me that to value the fact that everyone has a vocation, everyone is called to be a Christian disciple, wherever they are, wherever they are. It's not just for people who get ordained. That doing a good job with goodwill, uh, as if serving the Lord, not human masters. When I think of that, I think of shaker furniture. Ed likes working with wood. He's got a shed where he likes to work in wood. It's a thing he gets great joy and and comfort from. And there's a cross upstairs that he's made that you've used for prayers and things. If you go into an antique shop and you want to look at a piece of furniture that, that, and you want to know whether it's really shaker like you can get a fitted kitchen made in shaker style both of our kitchens are kind of in shaker style but we know that it's not real shaker because the shaker's never made fitted kitchens so that's easy but if you want to go to, and find a piece of furniture and know whether it's genuine shaker I don't know a lot about antiques but I know this you can, you can look at a piece of the furniture that nobody else will see so pull out a drawer and, and look at the back of the drawer, say. And if it's genuine shaker, the back of the drawer will be made as well as the front of the drawer. Why is that? Because the original shakers were believers. And their attitude was, God sees that. So if God sees that, I'm going to do it as serving him, not anybody who's going to see it. Maybe you're hearing this and you're thinking, well, that's all right if you want to be a carpenter, if you want to be where your front line is, but I actually don't like my job. I don't like the place I am in my front line. I wish I was somewhere else. Again, I'd remind you that the Colossians passage is for slaves, but maybe we just need to bed in that a little bit further for any of you who are particularly not wanting to be where you will be this week. I'm sure there's a message for us there. Now, I don't know whether he's ever mentioned it. I'm sure he hasn't. But Ed ran a marathon last year. He probably has never, ever told you about it. And it might, it might even be the case that he runs another one and that might be partly my fault. But I read this last year of somebody who ran the marathon by mistake. So 
This wasn't the London Marathon, but it was another one of the international marathons. It was a marathon in the States, a guy called Mike Kohler, who was 26. And in their marathon, you could enter the marathon, or you could enter the half marathon, or you could enter the 10K. So Mark, Mike Kohler had entered the half marathon, which started later, but he's like me as a person, and he got there early. In fact, he got there so early, he's right at the very front with the elite runners for the marathon. And nobody noticed that his number is different. So he sets off with the elite runners, and he gets to the point, the halfway point, where he thinks he should turn around, and there is no option to turn around. By then, he's not with the elite runners anymore, you understand? He's with everybody else. And he realises that he's in the wrong place, and he has a moment to decide what to do. And he says this, he said at the time, I'm just going to go for it, because why not? I'm already here, I'm already running, I'm already tired, so I might as well try and finish. So he did, and he completed the marathon for the first time. They nearly didn't give him a medal, because it wasn't what he entered. But I think a lot of people complained, as you would have done, and he was given a medal, I'm sure. So I looked this up, and this is the second time this has happened. And the first time it happened, it was for a woman called Georgine Johnson, who was 42, who entered the 10K. So she's entered the 10K, same thing, she's got there early, and she gets to the halfway point, the 5K mark, and she can see that she can't turn around. She asks what's going on. She realises she's made a mistake. She asks the police if they'll take her back because she thinks if they take her back, she's got to run 10K, that'd be 15. She could just about do that. And they say, I can't, look at the crowds, we can never get you back. So she begins to cry, just thinking, oh, I just made this stupid mistake. Uh, and then she decides to go for it. And what she says is this. This isn't the race I trained for. This isn't the race I entered. But for better or worse, this is the race I'm in. So she went for it. And she completed the race, and I'm not making this up, you can look this up, in exactly the same time as Ed completed the race. Four hours, four minutes, for the first time ever, completing a marathon. Which is both impressive and a little bit depressing as well. <laughs> as well. For you, though, you may not feel called to where you are tomorrow, and God may lead you to something else in tomorrow's tomorrow, in six months or a year's time, or two years, but for now, you are where you are. And so there is a whatever, whenever, wherever message to you to do whatever you do with goodwill as if serving the Lord, not human masters. We'll never get anywhere with growing from here until we all accept that that's what we're called to. Maybe this all sounds exhausting to you and you're thinking, isn't this just an extra job that nobody else around me has to do? It's exhausting enough. Well, maybe it is in one way, but in another way, maybe it's the job. Maybe it's what we're called to do, to represent him well as his ambassadors on our front lines in our variety of paid and unpaid places. All ages, including if we're a retired place and um, our front line is our family or our neighbours or our social spaces. Where do we grow from here? We grow from here by when we are gathered, equipping one another and supporting one another for when we're scattered. We grow from here by recognising that he promises to be with us whenever, all the days. We grow from here recognising that whatever we do, we do it for him. 
and accepting that he is there in all circumstances in our whenever and wherever circumstances let's pray and so Lord we picture our variety of frontline places this week thank you that you're there whenever all the days good days, bad days low days days when we don't even recognise you there you're there average days, all days thank you that you're there and help us to do whatever we do as they're serving you, not others thank you that you're there wherever we go and you've gone ahead of us help our church here in battle your church to grow from here and help our church our stream of churches to grow from here and help our church, your church the bride of Christ to grow from here too Amen